Tandem Nomads, episode 108. What I realized was that it was this kind of deconstruction of my identity. I grew up really, you know, in the Northeast United States, thinking my career was the definition of, of who I am. And, and I, I had a complete identity shift. Um, for me, it was a way to jump off the traditional career ladder and to reassemble who I am based around what I've always wanted to be. Hello, Nomad Nation. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great inspiration and tips to turn your dual career challenges into a successful portable business and thrive in your global nomadic life. This is your host, Anel Deregi. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so thrilled to have you here. And today, I have a fantastic guest to introduce you, Michael Ginsberg. So, Michael, are you ready for the ride? Yes, I am. Fantastic. So, Michael, I'm going to introduce you very briefly of what I know from you, and you let me know what you'll uh, we'll give us a bit more details. But um, so, you have graduated, you have a doctorate and a master in uh, environmental engineering, sustainability, and you started your career in international development before you moved abroad with your partner. And uh, and you've been to, if I remember well, Nigeria. Niger, Canada, and now Kersau. I know that some people say Kersau or Kersau. How would you pronounce that? That's right. Yeah, Kersau. Kersau. Here we go. Yeah, they've got that little squiggly. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Okay, so while you moved in these countries at the beginning, you did a, a few jobs related to to energy sustainability and things like that. You'll mm -hmm. tell us more about it. But then you decided to start your own company when you wanted to realize it wanted something that was location-free. So I want you to tell us a little more about that process. So tell us first what got you to move abroad and say, yes, let's go for this adventure. Sure. Well, it's a pleasure being on your podcast. Um, so I just wanted to clarify, I'm a current uh, doctoral candidate. And I do, I am working on earth and environmental engineering and I have a master's, yeah, completed. So the, uh, the business idea really started, like you said, from really this frustration that came out of moving from, you know, every two to three years, which I think all of your listeners can relate to. Mm -hmm. And I realized quickly, especially within the State Department, U.S. government context, um, in order to maintain some sort of consistency, it was necessary to really do my own thing. Mm. Well, that's a critical point, and I do believe in that. I guess you're in the right place here <laughs> to share that point. That I, for a lot of people, could for um, a lot of people would think automatically when they move abroad, what kind of job I can find when I move to that country. And I think that's the first reflex in a way to try to find a similar job than what we've been doing before or something new that we want to do. Uh, but I guess, like you said, once we move from a country to another, that's the biggest challenge. And this is why I truly believe in the portable business, something that we can turn into something location independent. But I want to talk about that. First of all, how you made that decision. Did you think it through? Uh, did you have a conversation with your partner? How did it work before you even jumped into this adventure? What did you do to prepare this or not? <laughs> yeah, well, jumping into living abroad or, or into, into the business? 
into living abroad because living abroad. you started living abroad before yeah. business, right? Right. Well, that was a tough, tough decision. And I think like you, I'm, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I'm from New York. And it really was like, you know, jumping off a cliff. It was, it was this leap of faith that I took. And so I went to undergraduate university in Washington, D.C. And that's where I met my partner. And we, we started dating. And before we finished uh, school, so he graduated a year prior to me. And then about around the time that I graduated, he was really starting the process of joining the foreign service. So I, I started working uh, in D.C. for an organization called World Learning, which does international development work in, throughout the world and, you know, giving capacity building, human rights, um, environmental issues, education. And I really was on a, you know, a career path having just finished um, my undergraduate. And, and then all of a sudden he jumps off and does something really out of left field. And I didn't know you know, what, what to do at that point. So we went through the process in, in the state department, it's called flag day and you get an, and you get an assignment. And so we had an assignment and our assignment was Gabon. And of course, a little foreshadowing here, we never did go to Gabon. So about a few weeks later, um, he found out that that position was no longer available and that he would be going to Niger. So there was no uh, really a process of uh, choice there. So he, the day I still remember very clearly, he found out that he was, be, he was going to be going. He was very concerned about the security and also my career prospects there. And he told me pretty much flat out, he said, okay, you need to stay in the U.S. and I need to go and do this at least for a year by myself. And so at that point, I decided, okay, I'm going to uh, uh, move back to New York. I, we were still in, in Washington, and I was going to do my master's um, at Columbia, which I ended up doing. And after finishing the master's for a year, uh, a year of being apart, I was very torn about whether you know to go and join up with him in Africa or you know to take a job offer with a consulting firm. And of course, everyone was telling me, what are you doing? Of course, you have to take the job offer. But, you know, I, I followed my heart and I ended up in Niger for the next year and a half. Wow. All right. Fantastic. What would we do for love, right? That's right. <laughs> okay. So I would know, I would, did you prepare that move or did you just take your luggage and go? Did I? I'm sorry. Did you prepare that move or did you just go there and figure out what you would do once you're there? Definitely very, I very much prepared for that move because just to get a little more detailed, when we, when he originally was assigned Niger, we looked at, um, or I looked, we looked at the job options that I would have within the embassy. And at the time, the state department was still figuring out, uh, gay couples so they did not consider me what's called an eligible family member. So I was not eligible for any of the positions within the embassy. So that was another reason why I didn't go originally. And so when I ended up, when I finished my master's, um, we, I then applied again. This time I had become an, an eligible family member. And so I found uh, a position. I already had a position within the embassy that I... Um, that I had secured before moving there. Okay. 
That's good. So I wanted to highlight this point because I do believe that there's a lot of people who do move abroad but don't prepare beforehand. And I think that's really important. It's great to be adventurous, but it's also good to know what's waiting for you there. And mm -hmm. if there is nothing, at least you don't come. And it's important to have a plan in a way. And you did have a plan. And I think that's where the success stories start is when you have a plan. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how was it for you to find a job? Because you did a lot of things. I looked at your resume. You did so many interesting things in Niger and um, Canada, which led mm -hmm. you to starting your business. So um, how was that experience for you in general doing all those jobs? Yeah, well, that's a great, great question. I found The, the job I did working within the embassy was, frankly, not everything I thought it was going to be. So I, I went next door. There was an American school. I had no aspirations or idea about being a teacher. So I went over there with the intention of, oh, I just did my master's in, in, in sustainability and energy. And I, and I went over there and I said, look, I can be a, a sustainability manager for the school. So I met with the school director. and. She, she nodded her head and said, that's wonderful. But then she said, um, actually, we really would like, we really have a need for a social studies, high school, high school social studies and, 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 uh, and middle school environmental science teacher. And I said, that's great. Who are you going to get for that? <laughs> and so she was looking at me the whole time. So I said, why the heck not? Um, and I just jumped in and I just did it. Um, so I did that for about a year. And That was a good experience. Um, you know, in addition to that, I had some experience uh, with a friend I, ma I made at the UN. So we looked at some um, analyses of like internal, internally displaced people within Niamey, Niger. I mean, that was something that I was very interested in from my life before the Foreign Service, um, those types of human rights issues. So I, I think it's a common, a common point within my life. I, I always leverage the um, previous experiences that I've had. Yeah. And I think that's where it leads to the, suddenly how you founded the business. And this is why I wanted to talk a little bit about that because a lot of people don't necessarily imagine themselves as entrepreneur or don't really know how they could find the right business idea for them. So I just wanted to show in your case that you have always been gravitating in your field anyways. So could you take us through that transition from having a job? I think you were in Canada, then you moved to Canada. You also, right. What did you do in Canada? Yeah. So we got to Canada and we were very excited. We drove from Pennsylvania all the way to Western Canada. And I just remember as we crossed the border, I was in tears because I mean, it's Canada, it's wonderful, but, but I, I had this sense of loss of identity again for from having made this transition and, and I was no one in Canada. And so I had this idea that I'm going to make a, I'm going to get a really good position. I'm going to get hired by some good company. And I went through that for about a year. I knocked on every, every door. I had five interviews with Deloitte and I was convinced that I was going to get a really good position. I ended up getting a consulting job with, um, with a, a company that, that did lead green buildings work for Alberta infrastructure. It was a very good experience, um, but you know, it wasn't the uh, career-making opportunity that I was looking for. 
And then finally, at the end of the time in Canada, about six months left, I had a a job offer to work for an emerging solar energy company. But I called them up and I said, look, I have six months left. Do you still want to take me on? And they said, they said, no, you know, and so, and so that was also heartbreaking. So that I think is the time in which I realized that I needed to um, make my own thing and, and, and not try to find career satisfaction in a nine to five employee, employee position. That's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. You know, you said two things here that I think will resonate with a lot of people. It had resonated with me too, is that <laughs> feeling that somebody you're somehow suddenly you're nobody. And that's a hard tough. It's not true, but it is. I, thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of people would feel it like suddenly, who am I? Because I have to start again from scratch. And that's one of the things that we try to prevent here in Tenement. And the fact that you came out by your own with that idea of starting your own business. So did you get any help with that? Or take us through that. Okay, from the moment you realize you want to take you want to start your own thing to doing it. What happened? Yeah. So I I, in advance of the of the podcast, I I I jotted down some of my major reflections um, about this about this topic. And the first one I think we talked about, which is this identity loss and identity shift and coming out the other side of that enabled me to reimagine what was possible within my own life so that was really the, the first and most fundamental thing that happened to me you know in, in personally the second thing is the wonderful EFM network and so let's the, tell to the uh, to the nomad nation what is EFM oh i'm sorry i'm acronyms yeah. so the network of other uh, other tandem partners. Uh, and I, I say EFM because that's specifically what we say within the government, yeah, so um, eligible family members. So yes. that's really for the Department of State and the, the you know, Department of Defense. So but there's a network for the spouses of the people who work for the Foreign Service. Exactly. So there's just a really great network. And I, I really linked in with them. I connected with them on Facebook and on, on, on LinkedIn, and they were in the same position as, as me. And so through them, I was able to find my first consulting opportunities. The very first one is from a wonderful woman who worked at a think tank, uh, and I think she has her own business now doing research uh, consulting. And she just really needed to find someone that could do editing work and uh, analysis. And so you know, that was a great experience. And then on and on, it just sort of spiraled uh, from there. Um, and I was able to get uh, continued work through those connections. And then the other, the other uh, principle, I would say, is that hmm, there's something I learned in high school, in my high school drama class, which was from, from improvisation, you always say yes. So I really took that to heart, really, in, in, in the first few years of starting my business, which was never turn down an opportunity, regardless of what it is. And so I was always available to my clients. They, they never even questioned my uh, commitment to, uh, to their work. And so that, that enabled me to build up a really good brand um, and reputation. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing those three points about the identity, about the fact that you started with a network. And I want to share a word about that, um, about the FM and also in general, the network. And the third thing, always say yes and be available for 
any opportunities that come to you. So those are really good advice. Thank you for that. Um, you know, you said something important here about network when you're just starting out your business. That's super, super important to be part of a community. And uh, a lot of people tell me that I don't have this community. So it's true that I find it amazing that the Foreign Service has the AFM available for the spouses of the Foreign Service. I really think that's fantastic. So it's one less problem for those who come from the U.S. or the Foreign Service, American Foreign Service. But I do have examples of people who don't have that. And like, if you don't have it, then create it. Yeah. So that's it goes back uh, hand in hand with what you were saying about saying yes, saying yes also taking the opportunities that come to you and if you don't have them create them and um for instance in my in my husband's uh, situation this organization is not existing but we're a couple of spouses getting together and trying to make this happen because we are much stronger if we're together so my biggest advice to all of you who are listening if you see that there's not a network around you try to build it either through the community the neighbors or if you're an expat uh, surroundings if not through the spouses of your the colleagues of your partner um but try to be creative and and find it and online obviously there's so many groups obviously there's tandem nomads group that's a place for you to come if you wonder where to go so i just want to share that thank you so much for bringing that up okay so you got your first gigs through this uh, platform right so when did you start really becoming a company well, reg- business registration I did just last year. Mm-hmm. So officially, I suppose last year. The what's the name actually? It's master. Yeah, it's called Mastering Green. Mastering Green. So, could you please tell us about your business now? I think sure, sure. So, um, as a combination of uh, really what I'm passionate about, uh, Mastering Green provides environmental and energy consulting services. Primarily, we serve. Uh, U.S. government facilities. So that's uh, where most of the, my business has been. But I also do consulting for um, private uh, corporations. So those types of services would include energy audits, uh, solar energy design and installation, as well as energy analytics, and also training of, of staff. So it's, uh, it's really kind of a spectrum. But, yeah, the concept of energy and environment. I'm sorry. And who are your typical clients? So the primary clients we have, we have about four. Uh, primarily, they're within the State Department. So the Bureau of Overseas Building Operations is one of the uh, big clients that I have. And for them, I provide technical training to the staff who work in U.S. embassies. Uh, I do this my company consults with um, an engineering firm in the Washington, D.C. area. And so through them, uh, we design and then train these local staff in everything from energy management and buildings to HVAC um, and plumbing, um, fluid dynamics, some technical, technical as well as practical um, issues. So the, without getting too, too detailed, the U.S. government has designed and constructed many new facilities throughout the world, and they often, uh, the, the, the local staff are the ones who are responsible for maintaining those systems, but they often don't have the requisite training to do so. So we, we, we fill in that gap. So I love, you've been saying we, so I would love for you to tell us about that. Um, sure. Yeah. So I, about two years ago, I started to bring on help 
Um, I have about three or four consultants that work for me um, on a freelance basis right now. And they do everything from help with administrative assistance to uh, research. I'm working on a couple of books right now. So they're helping with um, research and editing. So it's really kind of as tasks arise. Another big client I had last year uh, was actually starting in January was the Oregon Solar Energy Industry Association. And that was a great, uh, great project. And I got to, I was the, um, the technical uh, training coordinator for them. And of course did that under the umbrella of my company. And we, we put together the, this year's Oregon Solar Energy Conference, getting all of the technical uh, trainers, putting together the programming. And so I had my team helping on that, getting, getting the connections in place, you know, all of the logistical stuff. Wow. Okay. I have so many questions. I'm going to try to organize this in a way that it makes sense for everybody who's listening. So um, maybe real briefly, how did you get from just making a couple of geeks through your network to now having a company where you actually also outsource some of the work and can really call it a business? How, how, do you, how did you do that transition? Well, you know how I said that you always say yes? Yeah. Well, now I'm, gonna, I'm going to go back on that. <laughs> and I'm going to say that at some point, hopefully you're going to be too busy. And I noticed it in my personal life. I was staying up all night. I was never sleeping. My partner was not happy. And, and it was good. It was success. But, but what I had to do was I had to start prioritizing. And so my first, my first uh, strategy there was not to say no, but it was to hire people who I could start to delegate the more administrative but time-consuming tasks too, so that it would free up time for me. And that's really the 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 switch I think, or the transition in my business where I went from a collection of gigs to um, an actual business. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, but how did you get to so many gigs? I want to go back to the what you said <laughs> about the no, because that's super important. But how did you get those many gigs? Before I think you could really have so much yeah. work that you can incorporate well i really i i really think it's definitely through your through your network and through word of mouth um so i still have i would say my primary clients those are the state department the a couple of engineering firms in the dc area and through them they started to recommend me to other firms that it was actually becoming too big and so like i said i had to prioritize my time and through other networks. So I have this family member network, but you know, I also have the, the Columbia University network as a current PhD uh, candidate. And so through them, I'm able to leverage opportunities as well. And so I'm currently working on a new kind of idea with, with a classmate who, and we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to launch a new product, basically, oh. a software product. All right. Exciting. Okay. I just want to, the reason I was insisting on this is because a lot of people ask me, so how can I get the word out from my business? And when Mm. you're starting, that's really important to realize that I can share as many marketing tips and and strategies as possible. But the number one place to start is building relationships, true genuine relationship and serving people as best as you can. And I think this is what led you to where you are. You know, you built relationship, you performed, you 
take care of your clients, and that generates natural recommendations, word of mouth. Mouth, yeah, word of mouth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and and so I would good. just say that the I did try Google advertising and Facebook, and I didn't find much success in them. And maybe they work better for certain businesses. Like my parents, for instance, have a, um, a skincare business, and they, they get a lot of revenue from Groupon and from Google AdWords. But for mine, it really was not the right business model. Consulting services are a bit different. If you sell a product, I think it's a bit easier. Or a digital product, Facebook, for example, ads are, are good uh, if you know how to target well <laughs> and, and <Yeah>. cheaply. But, <laughs> but um, I think in your case, the fact that you have managed to turn a consulting business, that's quite, and that's my next point, that's quite physical. You need to be present physically. So how did you make it a portable business? That's... I think probably the most important question. And I have a few tactics, um, I would say, and I don't mean to be so, so clandestine or secretive, but unfortunately that is, I think we're still in a world where the client has an expectation of us being in a specific location Mm -hmm. physically. So what I do is number one, I always make it appear as though I'm based in Washington DC or New York. I have a Vonage business account, and through that business Vonage business account, I, my number always appears as a U.S. phone number. It's always the same number. So that small investment has really gone a long way. I make myself readily available and accessible through that number. So regardless of whether I'm in Ouagadougou, West Africa, or New York, New York, I'm always reachable for the most part. So I just want to explain a little bit Mm -hmm. for those who are not familiar with that system. Uh, It's a little bit, is it with Skype that you do that or Vonage is it? No, Vonage is a, yeah, Vonage is its own voiceover IP, internet protocol, uh, business company. And so they also offer the service for uh, non-business. Yeah. So basically just to explain the concept, I will put the link of Vonage for those who are interested in the show notes made of this page of this episode, but basically Vonage and Skype, for instance, they both offer you the opportunity to have a local number, even if you call from another country. I just wanted to explain that. And that's a great, great, this is a typical example of how technology today make it, makes it possible to have a portable business. So you have a local number and what else? So I think the other Part of that is that when it, when the topic comes up of where I am, I'm not really forthcoming. <laughs> and this is something that I actually learned in my personal life, which was, you know, with being uh, gay and having a, a male partner, I, it's, it's not their right to know. It's my privilege to tell them. And that's the same thing I feel actually about being a spouse uh, or, or being a, a tandem partner, which is it's my privilege to for you to know that and you need to know me well enough. Uh, and so with a lot of my clients, they have no idea, you know, that I'm out of the country. Um, and and I, I think I can do that easily because uh, of, of the fact that I'm a PhD student and, you know, I have a New York address. My company is based in the U.S. So it's very easy to, to make that, that appearance or make, make that appear as such. So that's that's a good point. You don't need to say you just have to learn a typical maybe of sentences. Do you have some kind of sentences or a way of responding that you could recommend? Yeah, so I often will say, well, you know, I'm half of the time I'm in New York, you know, and the rest of the time I'm traveling for work. 
or, you know, I'm, I'm often on the road consulting and then down the road, you know, as I get to know somebody better, I will say, well, I'm actually in Curacao, you know, for a lot of the time. And, and, and then they finally open up. I finally, I finally open up to them. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's very, you professionally until the, yeah, there's, there's a difference. And, and, um, you know, it's something that I have to negotiate within myself all the time with each person. So it's definitely not an easy thing. Like I said, I I think I, I got burned by being in Canada and then having this great job offer. And then, and then I, and then I, because I I told them I was leaving, you know, I didn't have that opportunity. So I'm a lot more guarded now and cautious about what I say uh, and to whom, because I also think that people have their, you know, their, their preconceptions. I say, Oh, well you, you left, you know, you're, you're doing, you know, you don't have your own career. Well, no, I do. And you don't, and you don't really understand what it's like. And, and so um, that's just the way I, I look at it. Yeah, I do. I do. I don't know about you, but I can share something personal too about that. I do see it even today. I have a, a, a thriving business and when I'm with my husband, I'm his spouse. So a lot of right. people tell me, so are you enjoying the shopping in New York? <laughs> I'm like, I know, oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I often, yeah, I often get from friends, my friends here in Curacao after I've traveled for work or for school and I come back and they say, oh, how is vacation? Oh, you're always on vacation. Like, actually, no, when I'm here in Curacao, I'm more on vacation than I am when I'm traveling. Exactly. <laughs> I'm actually traveling for work. Yeah. So a lot of frustrations, but I think at some point we just have to be secure about what we do and why we do it and, and not yeah. care so much. I used to care a lot about what people say and remarks like you're here just to shop. I'm like, Oh my God. But <laughs> at some point we just have to be at peace at it because it doesn't matter what people think <laughs> as long as we're doing our job properly and are happy with what we're doing. So, so tell me about your business model really briefly. How does it work? How do you make money? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Kevin. Do you know Kevin in Sharks? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> How yeah. do you make money? <laughs> so um, now I'm going to pitch to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, we're a no-brainer. Uh, number one, with when it comes to energy efficiency, for every dollar that you spend based on our recommendations, you can get back $3. So that's less than a year payback period. And that's energy efficiency. When it comes to solar energy, it's a more of a niche market. So I, I have some clients in California and residential clients that I you know, do designs for. But primarily my business, I, I, have a, I get a lot from doing the training with the technical staff because that's a big priority. And I'm gone pretty much half of the year uh, doing that work. I'm slowly starting to build up uh, more of the research and academic aspect. Uh, which is, of course, having to do with my my studies. And uh, I'm working with my research team to apply for some grants. Uh, and my uh, my advisor just got a grant with the Department of Energy, actually, to do what's called a solar desalination study, uh, uh-huh. basically fresh water from uh, seawater through solar. And yeah, but uh, but basically, my my business model has been a few good, really good contracts right now. That's yeah. Great. So you do. Um, so you, the transactions are either a document or a training where you have to be there. 
or an installation. I'm just thinking of business transaction. In exchange of the money, there's right. a recommendation that's sent, I guess, with a document or a training that requires you to travel or an installation. Do you travel for installations? Primarily, no. Uh, so, so it's exactly. So the it's either I'm providing a design, mm -hmm. like a drawing for a system, a solar system, or I'm right on site giving a training. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, I have installers that I work with who, you know, are certified. It's it's tricky because in each state there's different regulations for uh, who can who can install. So, you know, I have in California a local, um, you know, certified individual. So I, I give him the design and then he will, you know, do the installation. Um, but primarily it's, it's remote. A lot of the work I do is analysis, research, editing. Fantastic. That's great. So I just wanted to share, I was asking about business model because that's one of the major components that makes a business uh, portable. It's how that money is happening and what mm -hmm. kind of, and this is why I was using the term transaction, what transactions are happening. Those are the two questions somehow to ask ourselves to build our business model. How do I generate revenue and how am I delivering what I'm paid for? And is those, are those two things portable? Basically, that's the magic formula to know if your business is portable. So what I want to say about your case, just for those who are consultants, that case is a great example how you turn a consulting business that requires a lot of presence is to do what you said, get an international number, travel on certain occasions. Um, but also if you can't travel, and it's a little bit what you also do, is by having a team of people who can be there for you. And that's what you've done, first of all, with your team, but also with the subcontractors that you have. I think you you summed it up very well. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> so now the next challenge. So all of you know Nation who are in consulting and wondering, usually consulting is one of the most portable business, honestly. I do believe that. But in your case, it has this physical and technical aspect where you do need to think about what makes it portable. So, but uh, let's talk about your marketing, what I think that could be challenging in your case uh, because it's such a B2B requires a lot of presence in terms of marketing, a lot of networking, a lot of one-to-one um, uh, -one relationships. So that's where I'm questioning how you're making your marketing strategy portable and how do you acquire new clients? That's a, an excellent question. And I think the one of the big things I do is every time I travel, I make it an opportunity to make new connections and to to share information about the company. Mm -hmm. So you know, through that, for instance, I was in West Africa giving a training, and then I talk about how I do solar energy, and they are at the embassy having a new solar energy system installed. And so they say, oh, wonderful, you could do oversight commissioning in the future operations and maintenance. And so they asked for me to submit a proposal for that. So um, because of the fact that I'm far away from where my clients are, whenever I travel, I have to take full advantage of it. Last week, for instance, I was in, in New York, and I think I had four different meetings every, every evening. So like I was booked four times over. <laughs> wow. So, you know... That's number one. Um, number two is, is uh, you know, I still really much am working on getting a solid marketing plan in place. 
I just haven't really had the time to to focus on it or made the time. Um, I'm working on as a as an LLC making myself eligible for certain government contracts because that's where my niche is. And so um, in terms of marketing, I've done some analyses with the General Services Administration. They have what's called a uh, small business administration, and they have a lot of free resources. So especially if you qualify for any of the minority statuses, uh, the government and you you are a U.S. business, the government provides a lot of what's called set-asides for for those businesses. And so that's kind of the market that I'm trying to tap into right now. That's smart. I think having that niche that's clear and where you know there's an opportunity is really, it's really smart to do it. So you've shared so many great things with us here. Is there one advice that you would really want to share for those who are in your case? There is a light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) (laughs) I probably have been on this site or sites like yours before. And especially when I started and I jumped off that cliff and moved to West Africa and got malaria and, you know, (laughs) which is your story. Um, I spent hours on these types of websites and, and, and really tried to find that network. And, um, I was going through a depression and what I realized was that it was this kind of deconstruction of my identity. Um, I grew up really, you know, in the Northeast United States, thinking my career was, was my, the, my defin- the definition of, of who I am. And, and I, I had a complete identity shift. And so I would say that, you know, I, I wrote a, a blog post um, that our mutual friend Carol put up, yeah. put up on LinkedIn that I would, uh, I would recommend people go to. And it really yeah, well, summarizes, summarizes how I feel about this. But I would really, in a, in a nutshell, say, being a, a tandem spouse or partner gives us an opportunity to have a new identity. And we should look at it as an opportunity rather than a, a, a punishment or some sort of condemnation. Um, for me, it was a way to jump off the traditional career ladder mm-hmm. and to reassemble who I am based around what I've always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And so I came from this sort of you know, international relations background, which is great. But through this process, I realized that I always wanted to go into engineering and and innovation, and it gave me ample time to do so. And that's, you know, that's, that's, this is currently how I have the time to be working on my, my doctorate. That's amazing. And I really appreciate that you are open with us and vulnerable with us to share with us that you have been struggling. You know, it's not, and I think when we share stories of successes, it's important to do that, to say that it wasn't always like that, you know, to get to where you are today, you went through some struggles. And today you can share that it's a great thing to renew our identity, but it wasn't that easy for you when you started (laughs) all of us to accept that we do have to give up that image that we had ourselves and build a new one right yeah so I really and it starts with it starts with with ourselves it starts with you not with others and it starts with you thinking about yourself differently than 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 how others perceive of you as a, as just a partner or just a spouse you need to think of yourself as being at the center of your own life Oh, love it. I love that. Um, <laughs> it would be so great to finish on this, but I would love to also ask you just, this was one trigger that helped you get out of this depression. Cause I know so many people go through it and um, what would be the one thing to do if we're in this case? 
Mm. It's hard. <laughs> That's a hard question. I wouldn't, I've been through that too. So I would not know. I'm thinking too right now. I would say in my case, you can maybe help me out. Um, it comes from first acknowledging that it's, we're not doing well. I think for me, it took a while to understand that I was struggling and it was important to just admit that it's hard. I think mm -hmm. starting by that was already helpful and then think, okay, now what can I do? Uh, and that was the process that I've been through. Also having friends around is very important. Yeah. And for me, making sure that we also just communicate with our partner so that they understand what we're going through without, it's so easy to have rese resentment uh, in this situation. It's so easy to blame the other why we're feeling so bad because you brought me to this <laughs> peephole. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I went, so there are some tough countries to go to and it, a lot of conversations right, like right. that. So, um, so I don't know about you, if, if this triggered some ideas for you, but for me, that was what helped me go through the tough times. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely got some ideas now, um, <laughs> but I've never been asked that before. So it took me back back. Um, number one, I would say I actually had a wonderful, and now this is a resource that we have in, in, in the state department. So it's not necessarily yeah. applicable to everyone, but I think having someone to talk to that is, has been through this before is essential. And uh, we had, I had this woman, I'll just say it, Carol Brooke Williams. She's yeah, wonderful. Hey, Carol. Carol, you know, she talked to me when I was in Niger. She talked to me when I was in Canada through, through, through the darkest times. Um, and, and anyway, they're called a global employment advisor. Um, and really they, you know, she was sent, you know, she, she helped me so much to, to rethink, about my, you know, my career and, and myself. Um, so actually that's a good point. I want to interrupt here because mm -hmm. if you don't have that help, get it. And that's really important. Actually, that's also something that I have done that I completely forgot. It's great to talk about this because it's funny how things we just keep forgetting what happened. And for me, getting help was also really instrumental. So if you don't have it naturally, you need to invest in it. And I think that's the other message I think we should share here. Yeah, sometimes you really just need need help. And I would agree having friends and having friends outside. Okay, now, yeah, <laughs> having friends outside of the, the, the bubble of your partner, which is to say, if you, all you're doing is, if all your friends are attached to his or her job, you're always going to look at yourself the way that they look at you, which is, you know, the, 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 the connection with, um, with their colleague you need to find your own group of people wherever you are. And even though I no longer really look very hard for work on the local economy, I do look very hard for a network and a group of friends, you know, for my, for my, <laughs> my personal sanity, it's just essential. It's essential to connect with somebody just based on nothing to do with your, with your professional life, having friends that I did that in Canada and done it here. And also in Canada, I, when I had a lot of time on my hands, I ended up getting a lot into cooking. So finding a hobby was, was really nice. And then sharing that food with, you know, with, with the new friends that I made. Those are great advice. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate this conversation. I could keep going here. So <laughs> thank you so much, Michael, for sharing your story, inspiring story, and I love your spirit. So keep rocking. And I wish you lots of many successes with your company. 
No, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. My pleasure. And I actually want to thank Carol, who introduced us to each other. And uh, big greetings to you, Carol, if you're listening. Hey, Carol. <laughs> All right, Namad Nation. So I hope this interview was inspiring for you as much as I've been enjoying doing it. And uh, you can find all the information we mentioned in this episode in the webpage of this uh, podcast on tandemnomads.com. So as usual, stay tuned to turn your challenges into great opportunities.